0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, hello. Maybe it's just me, uh, but does it seem like our culture gets increasingly more and more violent? Just me. Um, And I don't just mean conflict amongst, I don't know, like the Ukraine or Canadian truck drivers or whatever it might be. There's a a recent fight I just heard about. This past Friday at the Freshman Learning Center, 35 kids involved in some massive brawl out there. Nobody killed, thankfully. But, you know, I don't think it takes much of a, uh, even a knowledge of contemporary events to know that things are actually pretty bad. The world is actually a, a pretty violent place. I'm always reminded of the, remember the summer of love last summer when protesters burned down entire cities, right? Maybe it's just me, but it does seem like conflict, violence, even but even amongst people, even when it's not physical violence, emotional violence, cruelty, vicious words is on the rise. And I forget, if you know the citation for this, grab me in the narthex later. I remember reading a book about a historian who said that there have been more wars committed in the 20th century than in all the other centuries combined. And I think that point stands as my intro, that we live in a violent culture? We always have. Uh, ever since our, Adam and Eve were booted from the Garden of Eden, what's the very first thing that happens? One brother kills the other. So here's the deal. Violence is what hap- This is so important to get. Violence is, not, violence is what happens when fallen humans live alongside other fallen humans. Violence is what happens when sinners live alongside other Sinners. Violence is what happens when we live in a fallen and broken world. And so here's the question. Is there a better way? What's the solve? Well, if you think about it like this, people have tried all sorts of things. Education, and I'm not knocking any of these things, but they don't fundamentally work. No matter what we do, it doesn't seem to stop the problem. Because you know what? The problem is not out there. The problem is here. It's in the human heart, including yours and certainly mine. So here's the question. How do we solve this problem of violence once and for all? Maybe I shouldn't say solve because that's for the Lord when he returns. But rather, how do we as Christians live in a way which seeks to solve or at least uh, mollify violence in our culture? What would Jesus do? Well, I'm going to tell you. Not what would Jesus do, but what did He do? More importantly, what did he say? Jesus' solution to violence as countercultural and counterintuitive and even counter-common sense, it sounds, is this: How do you solve it? Love your enemies and pray for those who abuse you. So we're going to do a deep dive on this today. What does that mean? I mean, it sounds so yeah thanks jesus it sounds so far out there it, and actually it even sounds more it's worse when you dive into it and think about it but what does it actually mean to love your enemies point one and then secondly how does loving our enemies actually solve or protect us from violence So how does it work what does it mean to love your enemies point one secondly how does it work so before we jump into that you just need to understand a little bit of context here Jesus' words about loving your enemies come out. It's a part of the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's a long sermon that Jesus gives, one of his most famous. And we talked about this last week. He starts off with the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who suffer. Right? That word blessed, what does that even mean? I mean, I'd never use that word in English. It's the word makarios in Greek. And it actually means happy, which makes it even stranger. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are, happy are you? Not you should be happy. Happy are you? It's a descriptive. When people persecute you, happy are you when they? Happy are you when they utter all sorts of falsehoods against you? Jesus goes through all of these things. Happy are you when your life's terrible? Yes, yeah, sign me up, Jesus. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> I mean that, it, that. This is actually the point, though. What he's saying. This is the entire point what Jesus is saying is completely countercultural and counterintuitive and counter common sense if you think of it as what people would say but he's right the reason of course is that Jesus is saying everything he says is against what the world would say the psalm i love this fret not thyself because of the ungodly for they shall soon be cut down like the grass Get the big picture, what Jesus is trying to say here. So how do, you, how do you actually love your enemies? What does that mean? Well, it's a, radical, it's a radical break between the world we live in and the world that Christ commands us to inhabit. We actually are sort of like, I've said this before, spiritual amphibians, right? We've got one world in the spiritual realm as Christians and one world in the, wor- in the world. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world, right? We are called to live differently. And Jesus is laying out today, love your enemies, with a uniquely Christian view of the world. And here it is, and it's a zinger. Love your enemy. Now, one thing you need to see here, it's an important detail, and it's not obvious. If you look at the gospel, the first word he says, Jesus said, but. I say to you. Now, that's important. It doesn't seem like it is, but it is, because the word but in Greek is the word "alā," and it's, a, it's an argument, and it's a counter. So he says, you've heard all this stuff, you know, get, get the guy who's wronged you. Run that guy off the road. Get that filthy animal. Secret, get what you deserve. But I say to you, love your enemy. In other words, Jesus is setting up a worldview that is completely and intentionally counter to every fiber of your being as fallen people living in a fallen world and that word enemy is is a zinger too that word enemy is a greek word and it is the word extros and it doesn't just mean someone you don't like it's a very strong word uh it means listen to this love your enemy and an enemy is someone who is actively and deliberately working against you it's not just someone you don't like or someone who's wronged you I guess I could fit in here too but it's someone who's actually trying to get you Jesus says you know what here's how you solve them here's how you solve it BAM right no it's not what he said he says that's what I would say in my fallenness but that's not what he says and he's right He says, love them love your enemies you now the point i want you to see here is two things when jesus says love your enemies he's actually implying something here and that means you've got them and so do i but how do you love an enemy what does that even mean because if you think about it logically most people hear love as i love you man yeah buddy that's what we hear well you can't love an enemy because you're by definition people you don't like so Jesus' words just sound like complete fluff right yeah man i love you but i don't really love you i kind of hate you you're my enemy how do you do how do you make sense of that well you have to go into the greek i'm going to show you there are four words in the new testament defined as l-o-v-e i talked about this three weeks ago there are four different words in greek that are translated into english as love the first one is eros sexual love right valentine's day the second one is storge it's a love for it's an instinctive love for a parent for a child it's very rare in the new testament the third one is uh Brother, friendship love, Philadelphia. And then the fourth one is the zinger, agape. And it means love which puts the need of someone else ahead of your own. It's a verb. Agape love that Jesus commands you is not, I love you, man. That's phileos. It's not, I love you, baby. That's eros. It's a verb. And when you understand that, what he says makes perfect sense. It's not easy. Get to that in a second. But it actually makes a lot more sense because what he's telling you to do is look, even if you don't like somebody, even if somebody is actively working against you, you are to treat them better, like as you would want to be treated. You are to put their needs ahead of your own. It's a verb. Love is a verb. Love, Christian love, listen, and it's over and over and over again in the New Testament. Christian love is an act of the will. Agape is a verb. It means to put someone else's needs ahead of your own. It is action, and that you can do whether you like someone or not, whether they are your enemy or not. He's not saying be buddies with your enemies. He's not saying, you know, date them, although that happens sometimes. (laughs) He's saying it's an action. It's a verb. And if that's true, and it is, then what he's saying actually makes perfect sense. That if somebody is your enemy, you can and you must love them, even though you don't want to, even though you don't like them. You can, in fact, be charitable to people that you don't like, and even your enemies, because love is a verb. I remember back in 2017, November 6th, 2017, in uh, little, right here in little old, sunshiny, warm fluffy Vero Beach. I don't know where that came from, but you know what I'm saying, right? Nothing bad ever happens here. It's Vero, right? Don't tell anybody to move here. It's a great place. So, but right here in Vero Beach, on November 6th, 2017, two guys were driving down Route 60 here. They're going down the road. No one knows exactly what happened, and I'll tell you why that is in a second, because they only have one side of the story, as you'll see. These two guys are driving eastbound on 60, and they got in some kind of an altercation. Somebody caught off the other guy. Somebody you know, made a high sign to somebody else. Who knows what happened? But what happened, what what began to unfold was what we call road rage, which is very easy to fall into because someone in a car is depersonalized. But road rage occurred, and these two guys are just swerving and zinging and F-bombing and the whole thing, and they come to a light, a stop sign, right? The the one guy driver has his girlfriend next to him. This is right here in front of Walmart. They come to a stop sign, a stoplight, and the driver looks over and he sees the one driver reach down. So the driver in this car pulls out a 40, uh, 9 mil, pops him. 16 shots! Kills the guy. bum. And that's why I only know one side of the story, because the other side of the story is dead. My point is, though, here's what I want you to, uh, what I want you to understand. What if, What if one of those two men had said, I'm going to love that person. What if one of those two men had the Christian integrity and will to act differently? What if one of those two men stood down, right? Put their anger aside and said, I'm going to, honey, we're going to make a left. (laughs) Because she's probably telling him, would you slow down, right? He's, I'm going to get that, because he's, I'm going to get that guy. Ah, You know how guys get, we get that way, right? And she's probably saying, would you just stop it? He didn't listen. I don't know that for a fact but I'm probably right. Um, but what if, what if one of those men had de-escalated? What if one of those men had put their, the needs of the other ahead of themselves? What if one of them had had some humility? Maybe we wouldn't be talking about a dead person in front of Walmart in November 6, 2017. The point is here, and this is the first one, that loving your enemy means putting the needs of someone else ahead of your own. It is a verb. And the reason is because, as Jesus says, it's because Jesus has acted kindly towards you. Get to that in a second. So how does this actually work? Okay, we're to love our enemies. I get it, Father. Put the needs of someone else ahead of my own. That's awfully hard to do. It is. But with God, all things are possible. So how does this actually work? Well, two ways that I can find. The first thing that loving your enemies does is it changes the culture in which we live because it's not cultural. Loving your enemies is completely countercultural. Loving your enemies influences the people in your circle. Let me give you an example. Back in the sixth, sixty AD, six zero AD, there was a guy named Nero, bad dude. And Nero was a guy who decided had an idea. Right? Nero had an idea. He went. He burned down. Uh, the, set Rome on fire. And then it blamed the Christians, just like Hitler did in World, with the Reichstag in 1930, whatever it was, 36. Nero was a smart guy, right? And he says, ah, we need, we need a scapegoat. Nothing like a scapegoat to build political power, as you know. And so he says, we need a scapegoat. And they, ah, the Christians, yeah, they're strange. And they're weird, and they're a bunch of cannibals, and all sorts of things that the Romans thought about the Christians. And so they started a program of persecuting Christians, and so they would round them up. That's what you do. You blame people for who they are, you fault them, you create an outgroup, and then you make them the cause of all the problems. Happens all the time in politics. It's very Machiavellian. But anyway, Nero goes and he rounds up these Christians. Whole families arrested, right? Door breaks down, soldiers come in, grab mother, father, kids, whatever, and they cart them off to the Colosseum to be executed as public entertainment. Moms, dads, children arrested for sedition and insurrection because they refused to worship the emperor. They were considered traitors. (laughs) Sounds familiar. The Romans are very good at this kind of thing and what they would do is they would bring these families out into the Colosseum and they would do all sorts of really creative things like eviscerating people, disemboweling them, crucifying them alive and then lighting them on fire to provide light for the festivities. Rape of girls, feeding them to lions, skinning them alive, beaten, tortured, lit on fire—you name it. The Romans were good at this kind of thing. And the one thing we know from the historical record, from Eusebius, a a Jewish historian, is that the Christians, when they were brought into the Colosseums, families—I mean, imagine this—we're just eating dinner, man. What are you doing? They arrest them, bring them in. These Christians did not did not plead for mercy. They didn't, you know to the emperor, or, you know, wave Black live Matter, flat, whatever. They didn't do any political stuff. You know what they did? These Christians came into the Colosseum, and they sang hymns. Can you imagine what that would look like? Well, of course, the crowds at first didn't believe it. Man, look at these freak shows, right? These Christian fuddy-duddies, weirdos, perverts. That's what they thought. Of course, they're, they're singing. They're all high. Right? Who knows what they thought? But eventually, over enough time, these Christians refused to give in. They loved their enemies and prayed for them in the midst of this. And it began to change the culture. They, the people realized, why are these people doing this? The Roman citizens and the why are people doing this? Why are these Christians blessed when they are cursed? Why do they not speak hate and vitriol and plea for mercy like everybody else? Well, here's why because the Christians lived under a different set of rules. The Christians lived as kingdom people, and it literally changed the world. And this is my point. When you love your enemies, friends, it changes people. Them and you, which I'll get to in a moment. Because people around you see that you live according to a different set of rules, and that God is the judge. Fret not yourself over evildoers, scripture says. So let me ask you, let me just put this, make this like, real, for you, practical. I want you to think of somebody right now who is your enemy. Anybody got one you want to share? I'm just kidding. Think of someone who is your enemy. You've all got them. Scripture assumes it, otherwise Jesus wouldn't say it. Someone you don't like, someone you don't trust, someone who argues politics with you and has a vocal and radically different op- opinion than you and never seems to stop. Anybody know someone like that? Anyway, Whatever. Picture that person in your mind right now. Do it. And I want to challenge you. Love them this week. Do something kind. Put the needs of that person ahead of your own. It might actually change them. It might actually quiet the violence between you and that person. It might actually begin to solve the problem that's underlying here of of antagonism and the devil, frankly. It might change them, but it also might change you. See, when you love your enemies, when you pray for those who persecute you, it's awfully hard to be angry at them. It actually softens your heart and mine. You know the people that you resent for past wrongs, the kid in the schoolyard that used to tease you, or the friend that betrayed you, or the person who stole money from you, or you know, whatever, you've all got stuff, right? Your, your financial advisor who walked away with money of yours, or gave you a bad deal, or sold you some bad stock, or whatever, whatever. Maybe it's I don't know this kid named Saunders Healy who stole your jeans jacket in 7th grade to say it. There are few things in life worse than carrying around resentment. Oop. Few things in life worse than carrying around resentment and vitriol and hate for past wrongs. There are few things in worse few things worse than carrying around the burden of being slighted and feeling taken advantage of, of being angry over things you can't control. There are few things in life worse than carrying those things, so don't. Forgive them. You know, I got news for you. Hanging on to past wrongs doesn't do anything to the person that you hang on to, you know. Saunders Healy has no idea. I'm, I will guarantee you, he has no memory of the fact that I know that filthy animal stole my jacket. I know he did it. He doesn't care. Hanging, hanging on to that stuff, that brokenness, that doesn't actually hurt them. Who it hurts is you. See, loving your enemies is in, and praying for them, it's awfully hard to be angry at someone that you pray for. Loving your enemies and praying for them as otherworldly and as counterintuitive as it seems on the surface is in fact the only solution to violence, friends. But most importantly, and here's the key, it is the cure, it is the salve, it is the solution of the bitterness that infects your heart. Remember, Jesus, Paul says in Romans, That when we were his enemies as sinners, before we were saved, Paul says, before you were saved, while you, it's plural, y'all, were his enemies, Christ loved you first. So what what Jesus is saying is, now go and live like you believe that. Go and love your enemies like I loved you before you were on my side. And pray for those who persecute you and... Jesus says, and your reward, your reward will be great. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your words, which seem counterintuitive and countercultural for sure, and maybe even a little bit on the surface, unwieldy. Teach us to love our enemies, put the needs of others ahead of our own. Teach us to lessen the violence in our own hearts and pray for those who persecute us, so that our hearts might be freed from the burdens we carry, and that we might be examples to a culture and a world which so desperately needs a real fix. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.